to say that malaria elimination is close to home for Veronica Ruampura is an understatement. Her mum literally gave birth to her while sick with malaria. And this week on Occam's Razor, our soapbox for science, Veronica talks us through the approach she's taking in lending a hand in the fight for elimination. She's chosen to focus on health policy. It might sound a little unsexy at first, but give her 10 minutes and she'll talk you around. So policy affects almost every part of our lives, but how often do we think about it? Could I ask anyone in the audience, how often do you think about policy, public policy? One, yay, we've got a few. I can't see people. Good to know. So we are thinking about it a lot more now for obvious reasons, because we have things like COVID in our face constantly. But before that, public attention to health policy was a lot less. But the thing is, health policies define the kinds of treatments and diagnostics that we have access to, and even the behavior responses we have to our well-being and health. I work in malaria health policy, specifically on introducing better policies for P. vivax malaria in low to middle income countries across the Asia Pacific region. P. vivax malaria, or vivax as we researchers refer to it, is a type of malaria that's less well known to most people than falciparum malaria, which causes severe illness in Africa, so it gets a lot of attention. But the problem with P. vivax is that it can lie silent or dormant in your liver and cause a relapse weeks to months after an initial infection. So it's a prolonged disease that can weaken a person severely over time. It just happens slowly, slowly, okay? So treating Vivex is difficult for several reasons. Firstly, the most commonly currently used treatment requires taking pills for about 14 days. That's a fairly long time. And the problem is that patients tend to feel better after taking these pills for a few days. So what happens then is that they so often stop taking the pills. They feel better, you know, like when you're taking a flu drug, you feel a bit better, stop taking it. They don't get fully cured, and then they're at risk of another relapse, and this goes on. There are new high-dose treatment options now being suggested, new evidence that has come out. But giving a high dose of the currently recommended drug, Primaquin, requires patients to be screened beforehand for an enzyme deficiency, which is called G6PD deficiency. And I won't tell you the full name of it, but you can look it up because it's a very long name. If you don't screen for this deficiency before prescribing a high dose of primaquin, the patient is at risk of hemolysis, which is the rupture of their red blood cells. That's not something that anybody would want. So there's a social, and there are also social acceptability issues with current treatments. Because many people affected by Vivex live in poorer settings, like remote villages in Nepal, Pakistan, and India. They might come to a local healthcare center when they're feeling unwell, and then they get prescribed with the 14-day dose of Primaquin. But then they travel back to their villages, or sometimes even to even more remote locations like jungles for agricultural work. There's no way to monitor if they've been taking this full 14-day dose or not. So we really urgently need these new treatments and diagnostic tools to fight this disease. Particularly because in the Asia-Pacific region, which is really our region as well, 
a collective goal has been set to eliminate all malaria, not just 5X, by 2030. And this is linked to the World Health Organization's global technical strategy for world malaria elimination. So these are very lofty goals. These are big goals, right? Backed by the, uh, organizations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But these goals are hard to achieve and they need new policy measures to be achievable. For me personally, malaria elimination is important because my mother delivered me while having malaria. And because I know the devastation this disease caused in my country of birch Sri Lanka before we eliminated it then some years ago. So we're certified as malaria free for now. The good news for treating P. vivax is that now we have some further options available. We have shorter and higher dose premaquine being suggested as an option to improve this patient adherence issue that we have with treatments. We also have a new screening test for G6PD deficiency that could be given by a healthcare worker or a doctor before prescribing these high doses. Finally, there's a new drug called tofinaquin that's a game changer because it's a single dose treatment. So this gets rid of the patient adherence issue. It's just one pill to take. But because tofinaquin is a single dose treatment, it is a high dose treatment, and the chances of a patient's red blood cells rupturing due to G6PD deficiency is even higher. So screening for this deficiency becomes a must, but introducing them into policy in these countries is challenging. Why? Firstly, because most malaria endemic countries are less affluent. They rely on the World Health Organization's endorsement and recommendation of any new antimalarial treatments before adopting these into their national policy. The WHO has not yet endorsed or recommended any of these new options that I just talked about. There are several different decision-making bodies and levels within the WHO that have to confer and come to a decision to recommend any of these. And it's unclear how long that process may take. I've been working on understanding the mechanisms and decision-making processes of the multiple groups at WHO involved in making these new recommendations for PVIVAX over the last year. And what's noticeable from what I've uh, you know, understood from that process is that while the WHO may take around a year or more to recommend a new malaria treatment, countries are often urgently waiting for new recommendations to be announced at the same time so that they can introduce these new policy measures to fight PVIVAX better. Academic literature also suggests that it can sometimes take up to seven to 10 years to change a health policy after new evidence has been published and disseminated in articles, for instance. So this health policy introduction game is a long one. And in the meantime, patients in affected countries continue to suffer with subpar treatments and continuing disease. To try to understand how a new policy could be introduced more quickly and more efficiently, we mapped malaria policy pathways in seven Asia Pacific countries in 2020. What we realized from this exercise is that there was quite a variation in the timelines needed to change anti-malaria policy between these countries. Some took six months, some took three years. The types of decision-making bodies involved in policymaking also varied between the countries and how much each different country relied on WHO recommendations before changing their own policies. 
Some of the country's anti-malarial policy processes were clearly more efficient, resulting in faster timelines for change. Health policymaking also involves much more than just acknowledgement of the evidence that's out there. It depends on the type of leadership in the process, how much political will there is for changing a policy, how much funding is available to change the policy, and even individual factors like who signs off on a policy decision. The way policymakers perceive a policy issue has considerable bearing on their will to change a policy. We found out these things because we interviewed multiple global malaria stakeholders over the past three years. These were national malaria control program staff, malaria researchers around the world, individuals from international donor organizations involved in global malaria efforts, and WHO staff. Based on what we've found out so far, what we're working on now is a deeper study of antimalarial policy processes in three specific Asia-Pacific countries. We're speaking to a range of national and regional stakeholders to understand differences in their malaria policymaking approaches and specific challenges they might be facing, like dwindling political will for eliminating malaria in the face of new world diseases, sometimes conflicts across their borders and their countries, migrationary issues like you know, border migration in Asia is very easy. There are many countries, so that's a problem to control malaria. We're exploring how regional networks that are working to eliminate malaria and regional WHO offices could better aid these countries to translate global malaria policies into national ones. So from the global to the national is quite a long translation process. The end goal is to try, this is a group effort, this is not just me, this is a big team. The end goal is to introduce improved policy measures for controlling and eventually eliminating PVIVAX in these countries. So I'm sure you're wondering why is it important to think about this here in Australia and to control and eliminate PVIVAX when there are so many more pressing public health concerns in countries today like COVID-19 and the new monkeypox, for instance. Think of the world as a person bent or carrying a heavy bag of stones, each stone representing a world disease. Wouldn't that burden be lightened by removing one of those stones, in this case, P. virex malaria? One less stone to carry in terms of world diseases. That's why I think it's important to try and change and improve P. virex treatment policies. Thank you. That was Veronika Rawampura, a PhD candidate at the Menzies School of Health Research, speaking at our Occam's Razor live event at Darwin Railway Club on Larrakia land in July. I'm Tegan Taylor, your Occam's Razor host, and it's my own policy to bring a healthy dose of science to you right here next week. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.